are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit organization Win Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global product lead at Win by Night and product manager by day. Hello, everyone, and does it feel good to say that for the hundredth time? Because today is indeed our hundredth episode of the Win Win podcast. It is also right at the beginning of International Women's Month, and it is the tail end of Black History Month. And when I was thinking about this episode, there was literally only one person I wanted to speak to, and that is Inshallah Anderson, who by day is the global head of brand and creative at Google Cloud, but is also the very first person to have ever appeared on this podcast. Now, I know Inshallah won't get offended when I say this, but that episode is kind of rough. We talk about it a little bit in this episode, but I think for both of us, it was just such a journey and a very anxiety-inducing journey to put ourselves out there on this podcast. For me, it was a brand new skill set. I had also just had several jobs rescinded in the innovation world, and I felt super discouraged. And that month, she said that she would actually come on the podcast. I also got my first big product role at Citibank after being at a startup, and it was just such a unique time. I share this because some of you may be listening, may be seeing the end results, the amazing speakers who have come onto this podcast since, the fantastic sponsors that we've had, the exposure from the press and recognition in the industry, and all those things are really wonderful, but in reality, it has been been blood, sweat, and tears, and I set out with Win to solve a problem. The women innovators are out there. They are absolutely changing the world, and so let's give them a platform. And as the podcast grew, I took the feedback, I pivoted, I tried new things, and this is how we got to where we are today. And to be very, very clear, I did not go on this journey alone. I want to first and foremost thank Alfia Ilicheva and Maria Podorozhin for quite literally paving the path for this podcast to even exist. I want to thank Nicole Beckley, who has been writing copy for this podcast for the last three years. I also want to give a huge shout out to Gabby Andrade, who has been an early thought leader and partner for me on this journey. And I want to also thank Kit Krugman, who has also been a supporter from day one and on the days that the podcast was not going so well. So finally, the person I want to thank and hand it over to is Inshallah Anderson, who agreed to be a champion of this podcast before it had any clout or legitimacy. She epitomizes what it means to open the door for somebody else and is so gracious and a true role model for me. And so I'm just really excited for you to see how much better this podcast episode is than episode number one. Off to Inshallah. Hi, Inshallah. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Hello, it's so exciting to be back. I know, and not only for you to be back, but for you to be back a hundred episodes later, which is just like mind blowing to me. And we are still doing this from our bedrooms, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope you take a moment and just acknowledge like the journey that you've been on in terms of getting to 100, but also growing the organization. It's just been exciting to witness. 
I'm so grateful to have had these opportunities and to continue having these opportunities, but I'm not even sure if you know this, but so many people have asked me, oh my God, like your roster of women is so incredible. Like, how did you get these women on board? Or really they care about how I started because I think now that the podcast has grown, it's not as difficult to say, you know, I've had Inshallah Anderson on my podcast. I have had Tui Allen on my podcast. But at the very beginning, people always ask me, how did you get your first guest? And the reality was you were maybe one of the first five people that I emailed. So I'm curious, you know, you got a cold email from a very unestablished podcast. Why did you even decide to say yes? I will say it was like an, a very earnest outreach. But I think what was compelling for me was the um, the the purpose of win-win that this is about women and innovation. And I just thought that was um, interesting. I think it's a perspective that's not often um, sort of at the forefront when people think about innovation. So for me personally, I did not know that your organization was so young, but I thought it was exciting for um, uh, women to be at the table of, you know, such a subject matter. For me, that was really the, the draw. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And frankly, by the time I had started the podcast, I think the organization had been around like three or four years. And I think, yeah, I remember even going to the board and being like, I want to have a podcast. I want to get these women on. And they were like, you know, we've really built like a bread and butter offering here. We do these amazing workshops with these big brands. Like, do you even know how to edit a podcast? And I was like, (laughs) no, but I will go on YouTube and find out. (laughs) So um, it was just like such an experience. And I think the other piece that's so critical about that time when I had you on was both you and I actually had completely new beginnings outside of the podcast, which for you was starting your first role at Google Cloud. And I, at the time, had formally made my big pivot into the financial services and started as a VP of product at uh, Citibank. So take me back to that time. And I'd love to really hear about that current chapter and the set of problems that you are solving now has evolved. Yeah. So, I mean, at that time, um, I joined Google in August of 2020. And I mean, we were so thick into the pandemic. Like I I was literally just thinking the other day, um, uh, over the weekend, I took the kids to go see Avatar. And I just, as I was sitting there enjoying my popcorn, I thought, wow, a year ago, could I imagine sitting in a movie theater for three plus hours in the company of others, you know, sort of in a Mm -hmm. physically crowded space. But at that time, we were remote. I was trying to figure out and learn a new organization. I think as well, you know, just creating connection with people over what I call these Brady Bunch squares. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was really tricky to be new and you don't know what you don't know. Entering the world of tech where, you know, the lexicon is so dramatically different. And I was like, is that a Google term? Is that like a technology term, there was quite um, a learning curve for me just to sort of get up to speed. I definitely am feeling more at ease now from sort of, um, you know, in terms of knowing the vernacular. But I will say being a leader during that time now it's almost as if you kind of learn to lead with um, uncertainty being a constant. And I know that's such a strange concept because, you know, it almost seems like, you know, like an oxymoron, but it mm-hmm. really is because I feel like there's always something else. There's all inflation, you know, sort of the 
looming possibility of a recession, the sort of back and forth with the pandemic when we had Omicron, and then it was like, okay, maybe we retrench a bit, and then we go back. But also, I would say, like, the emerging importance of, like, mental well-being for your team, for yourself, it's just so important. And so I feel as, as if we have so many more things to consider when we're leading. Yes, you're driving business performance, you're pushing towards results, but there are so many other facets of our team that we have to consider as well, which um, in this day and age, you know, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a different, it's a lot. different leadership model than I would say I was accustomed to. Yeah. Well, first of all, I was trying to not laugh when you were talking about the lexicon thing because I switched, you know, people say like when you're switching roles, you can switch industries, maybe switch cities, maybe switch companies, but do not do all at once. And I essentially really did all at once. Um, I was like, okay, is this a product thing? Is this a technology thing? Is this a banking thing? And I just remember having these lists and just Googling one thing after the other. And I look back at that time and as difficult as it was, again, like you, I feel like, you know, if I switch to a different team in my company, if I have to learn a new skill set, I am just ready to go. And I don't think that that was something that I could actually put into practice. Whereas before, I think I would have said, oh, I'm great at dealing with ambiguity. But now I know I definitely am good from getting to that point A to point B. Yeah, yeah. And and, it, and as you said, you sort of have like your go-tos that help you, the sort of glossary of terms. I mean, coming mm-hmm. from an agency background, you're often sort of switching from one industry to another industry. So that sort of deep dive and learning, right. you know, beyond a cursory level, like sort of the dimensions of a given industry. It is what you do. But I I do think kind of once you're sort of really entrenched in a company, not sort of knowing, oh, this is a three-month assignment or this is a six-month assignment, but this is your role, then um, kind of setting yourself up to to really be prepared for that pivot and for that change. So I I completely understand what you're saying about like your your glossary of terms. Um, Mm -hmm. There is, you know, on the internet and Google, like, you know, you're sort of, you can go and check the glossary to say, hey, what does this mean, Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. And I felt like I could measure or um, assess my degree of getting comfortable in the environment with the frequency with which I was going on to the intranet to find things. (laughs) And some days it was like seven times a day, you know, and then you find it yourself looking for things like maybe, you know, four or five times a week. And so it is a marker of like your sort of transition into the new environment and the degree to which you get more and more comfortable. But I do think, and and I wonder, as you consider your transition, I think one of the things that I have sort of become more comfortable with is being comfortable being uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. I'd love to kind of hear from you, like kind of how you look at that, you know, with the shifts that you've taken, um, even the evolution with um, the different speakers you've had over time. Just curious in terms of like, you know, what does being uncomfortable mean to you and how do you sort of manage that? I appreciate the question so much because I have had different journeys across some of the different things that I've done. Like, you know, even in 2021, I started my own nonprofit. You know, I'd been a nonprofit leader with Win, And one day I said, well, why don't I do my own thing? Right. Mm -hmm. And that was a whole another set of, you know, learnings and, and growing pains about creating my own organization. I think to your question around both in my role and in the podcast with a podcast, 
I genuinely wanted to do it for all the right reasons. And Mm -hmm. I really, really mean that. Like I was so passionate about just getting the chance to speak to these amazing women. I was so passionate sitting there in my New York City studio watching TV where they were saying like, New York is shutting down. It is the epicenter of disease. (laughs) And it was like, let me just talk to people. Let me inspire them. Let's talk about the future and innovation that I think that I actually didn't let this perfectionist mindset and this like putting out the perfect product out there stopped me. Even like in your episode, I distinctly remember my hands shaking, holding the paper and not no. even listening to your answers, being like, yeah, yeah, just whenever you're done, like I need to ask the next question and be done with it. And it's not because, you know, like you did a great job, but I just remember that I just was so scared to put myself out there. Mm-hmm. But to kind of the the discussion we're having, like, I learned to love it and I learned to say like, you know what, I have these amazing women, I'm doing this for the right reasons. With practice, this will come and then I'll face new challenges around growth and expansion. And then I think with my role, it was also a matter of saying, why not me? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's somebody who has 35 years of financial service and product experience that would do a better job leading a team or working on innovation. But I feel like I've kind of stopped that imposter syndrome for myself when I've said, do I care to try? Am I going to give 150% to learning? If so, then ambiguity, I think, really hasn't scared me and, if anything, has excited me. But I don't know if any of that resonates with you. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it, it it totally does. For me, one of the considerations I've always had, especially, like, once, like, formal school is over, that mm-hmm. you realize that, like, your path of discovery, your learning journey is your responsibility. There's no, like, I took Spanish 1 and then I'm going to take Spanish mm-hmm. 2 and Spanish 3. Like, when you start in the work world, you realize that like your trajectory is is yours to kind of shape and define. And so there's this, you know, responsibility that sits with you as like both like author and creator to chart mm-hmm. your path. And I think for me, and it's one of the the things that always draws me to like different roles is I like a challenge. I welcome a challenge. I think, you know, in past when I've interviewed for things and I was like, okay, like I'm not like the maintenance person, like there's mm-hmm, nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. But like I sort of am at my best when it's messy and ill-defined and it's more the role of a builder than someone who's in a maintenance position where it's like, don't right. it up, you know? And yeah. I think that's one of the things from a self-awareness perspective that's very helpful for me because then it, I'm, I'm, acknowledging one, my learning journey. And once you sort of, you know, you sort of embrace this aspect that you're learning, then you've accepted that I'm coming from a place of not knowing, or I'm not an expert in, but I'm going to kind of journey to get to that other side. Right, Um, right. And so I look forward to challenges like that. I think also, I'm just like, curious and sort of, I may not have gone back to like a formal classroom from an education perspective. Um, I mean, I did my MBA and then it ended there. But right. I do think for me, I really do try to create like moments and opportunities for learning and discovery, whether that's role-based, whether it's like, you know, just reading on certain topics to, to learn more. I think um, at the end of the day, like our sort of knowledge base is ours to cultivate. And so I do put energy into making sure that I'm growing as a person. 
I hear you say all of this stuff, but from interviewing you the first time, you were so honest and so authentic about your journey, how you were the quiet person in the room and how you had to go into the Harvard MBA classroom and tell yourself you have to raise your hand. And I just remember those stories you shared. I really wonder, like, was there like a moment where you gave yourself permission to say, you know what, I'm just going to go be an innovator, I'm going to be a leader, I'm going to be outspoken. How did that journey kind of happen for you? And how do you continue to make sure that it happens for you and you continue to grow? Yeah. So I think firstly, I would say I'm an introvert. So like kind of being a little bit recessive, being quiet is sort of who I am. I tend to sort of actively observe rather than um, kind of immediately jumping into the fray. But I do recall earlier in my career when I worked at JP Morgan and I did fixed income research and being at, and you will probably are familiar, like you have a morning meeting and like everyone is talking Mm -hmm. about like the different credits that they follow and what's going on with the trading book and so on and so forth. And I remember my boss said to me, like, you have so much to share. Let us hear you. It was really kind of a helpful nudge for me to realize that like I needed to participate more. Um, I think then going to business school and that was very key to my experience for my MBA that like I could pass the final but fail the class because I didn't participate. So Mm -hmm. I think for me, it is sort of going outside of my comfort zone. It's sort of stretching beyond sort of what I would call my normal to engage more. But I do think when you sit back and consider as an individual, do I have something to share? Can I meaningfully contribute to this conversation? Can I advance the discussion by putting my ideas on the table? Then I think for me, it makes it much easier for me to jump in. But, you know, it's a journey that that I've been on. I mean, I, I would say the same with like... Uh, you know, public speaking. And I just, I, oh my goodness, as you're talking about like your handshaking, I just remember at points where I was like, my heart would be racing. Like I felt like I was going to have a heart attack because it was just not my, it was not my thing, you know, right. I had to get to a place of, of comfort. Um, and I have certain things that I'll do. Like if, if even, you know, if I, you know, I definitely prepare, I tend to have structured comments, Um, But all of those things sort of get me to a place of greater comfort and ease so that Mm -hmm. I I can jump in. I I think for me, another aspect of this has not just been like my journey, but the same way that my boss and it was a man and he was like, get in there. Like you have stuff there is like encouraging other people. And I think, you know, unfortunately, many times it's women and and I was the quiet girl. So I get it. But encouraging them to bring their thoughts to the table because they are there for a reason. You know, Mm -hmm. all of us are there for a reason. No mistake was made. And so therefore, when you think about like, what is the perspective that you offer that is unique to you that you can bring to the discussion you would be remiss not to to share that. Yes, it's it's not my style to be like, you know, like a little overwhelming um, from sort Mm -hmm. of, you know, I, I just am not like a talk nonstop person, but uh, making sure that like you're contributing to the conversation. And if that means like moving things in a different direction or showing an alternate opinion um, or bringing a, a perspective to the table that is missing, um, you know, that's not really optional. Like you should be in the game. <laughs> yes. And I 
I love hearing about that perspective because, you know, as we talk about diversity, there are so many aspects to diversity. But again, I'm almost like the polar opposite of you where the way that I process information is by asking questions and talking out loud. So I think sometimes I get into a meeting and people think, wow, like Zoya has so much to say and Zoya, you know, is an extrovert or whatever it is. But frankly, part of the reason I participate in meetings and talk and say my opinion and ask questions and even share unformed thoughts (laughs) is because that's how I process. But as I've kind of grown as a leader, as I'm now kind of managing people, something that I've asked myself is, okay, I know that for me asking questions or chiming in is like almost too much of a second nature. How do I actually create space for somebody like you or somebody who's actually junior and hasn't gotten to the point where you have, which is like knowing how to insert yourself, knowing how to share that point of view. And so I think it's really interesting to think about like how do we create literal and metaphorical space for people? to really shine as a leader, no matter how different they may be from one another. Yeah, I will say one of the things and not to make everything about like my um, early years at JP Morgan, but one thing that I recall being in the training program when I was in the sales and trading um, training program was that we had people from all over the globe come to New York for training at HQ. Mm-hmm. And like Americans, like were barely raising their hand and jumping into the conversation. And then you had people mm-hmm. just culturally from different countries with different styles where like, unless you called on them, they were not speaking, but it didn't mean that they didn't have anything to say. And so it was one of those where for me, like, being in that classroom setting with people from very different geographies, very different cultural styles, I realized it's really important to create space for people to share. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a cold call is okay. Sometimes it's maybe circling back one-on-one to say, hey, I think you might have an opinion on this. Or even just like, you know, not just the the verbal, but the nonverbal. Like, you look like you have a question. Um, yeah. you, do you have something that you want to share? Because you can see sometimes like, you know, what sort of passes across someone's face. And I think for me, it's just thinking about ways that you can draw someone into the conversation. The intent is not to make them feel ill at ease or sort of, uh, you know, like like they're, you know, like it's like a home invasion. <laughs> like you're just like yeah, yeah, outing them. Sure. But, you know, maybe sometimes it's like an easy on-ramp into the discussion. And so that's where it's like, hey, if I can be a conduit to like get someone a little bit more at ease, just like coming into it, I think is is really, really helpful. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and on that note, just speaking about the conversation and, and changing it, the role you took on at Google is, I think, a really, really fascinating one. So you initially started out in brand strategy for Google Cloud. You've since expanded to also overseeing the creative. And part of the reason why I find that to be such a fascinating role outside of what it objectively does is the fact that the cloud is still such a mystery to so many people companies and to so many people. And I think it's felt so inaccessible along with this wave of artificial intelligence and natural language processing. And I think the clouds kind of joined that rank of topics that feel inaccessible. Mm -hmm. And I feel like your role is in such an interesting position to really connect the product to just average people. And like I said, those companies. So I want to hear more about how you've thought through that challenge and, and how you've used your previous experience to consider how you can innovate in this one. Yeah, I think to your point, 
cloud is sort of at that frontier of technology that people are still getting their arms around. And so it can be very um, difficult to understand or appreciate how to apply it to your business. I think one of the things that is really important is to sort of consider the different either personas or audiences that we serve and sort of have that degree of empathy and understanding of, okay, if I'm thinking about like someone in the C-suite, you know, perhaps maybe not with a strong tech background, here's how we might position our message. But then if we're thinking about like an IT decision maker, that might be a more sort of sophisticated buyer. And so therefore the conversation or the the brand message needs to calibrate, recognizing there's a depth of understanding and knowledge that is different. And so I think one of the key things is, yes, from a blanket perspective, there is sometimes difficulty in appreciating, like, what is this technology? How might I apply it? What does this mean from sort of a data analytics perspective? But I think the the important consideration, and this is where, like, you know, with any branding, you sort of think about, like, your messages and your audience, is how do you have to calibrate recognizing that we're serving audiences that go from you know, very, very sophisticated to some that are learning about the technology, but are very clear in their ambition of what they want it to do. So they may not necessarily be a technologist per se, but have an ambition and have the like sort of wonder and and imagination of where they want tech to serve them. And so um, from my vantage point, I think it's a really interesting um, kind of moment right now. And then you've also added AI and that sort of adds to it as well. Um, But there is an aspect of like just, you know, basic marketing of just ensuring that like whatever that brand message is, you're lining that up with your audience and there is an understanding of what matters to them, um, how you can make a difference and where your brand fits in to the problem that they're, they're trying to solve. Completely. And I work in product And even working as a product manager, something I consistently have to think about, especially at a large organization, which is where I work, is this notion of really making people understand about ultimately how all of this ties to human experiences. Because I think so many people who work on like very technically oriented products, people write it off and say, oh, well, that's not a customer facing product. That's just like a technical product. And I coming from my kind of more marketing oriented background, I mean, I could not agree less because ultimately I think it is our jobs, whether in your world, marketing, branding, creative, to really connect to the masses around why what you're doing is important. For me, something that I really work on is explaining to people why fixing this one thing or shifting this platform or updating this API is critical because then I I tie it back to how will the customer experience it? How will merchants in the network experience? How would our B2B partners experience it? So I think that that's just a critical skill to have regardless of what you're working on, but especially kind of in both of our industries and in our areas. Yeah, yeah. I think um, making sure that we sort of marry the message with the audience and understand, Mm -hmm. like meet them where they are. And um, yes, there are definitely, um, when you think of the total addressable market, some are very sophisticated and some are not, but they have an ambition for their business and there's still an opportunity for tech to help them get there. Mm -hmm. So to me, I think like regardless, there's this aspect of um, empathy and understanding or sort of customer insight that 
is still so critical and sort of the cornerstone of good marketing. Yes, I unbelievably (laughs) agree with that. So with all of that and the complexity of your work and the problems that you're solving, is there one or two things that you think people would really invest more into as it pertains to skills that could help them navigate some, you know, more technical or more innovative products or, or generally skills that you think are really critical to innovation leadership that you wish people invested more time in? Yeah. Innovation can be with a big I or lowercase. And so Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like, how do you make sure that you sort of have the knowledge set that you need to make informed decisions? Like one of the things I found really interesting is I am taking like a Google certification course. And I know you Mm -hmm. take a lot of certification courses. I do. (laughs) Um, And it's just on um, like digital leader. And and it's just very helpful because it, it enables you to get further entrenched, you know, in sort of the terminology and the language and the product and solutions. And so that's something that I started doing super helpful because it enables you to be smart about the space in which you're playing. And I think, you know, however, you know, you don't have to take a a formal course, however you learn, creating kind of moments and windows within the course of your work so that you can continue to sort of, you know, expand your knowledge and continue to grow. Um, So for me, that is, is super helpful. And, you know, I would also just encourage, like, as people are thinking about, you know, creativity, sure, creative can be like visual identity, or it could be like design or, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, relate to like a campaign. But I think there's a lot of creativity that comes in, like how we problem solve, and how we look at something differently, such that like we kind of arrive at a new solution. And that can be maybe innovation with a lowercase i or or a capital I, depending on sort of like, you know, what you, what you end up coming up with. I mean, I think sometimes, as they say, like necessity is the mother of invention. Um, 100%. But there's also this aspect of like, you know, what would you do if you couldn't fail? And thinking about like, okay, well, could we try that? What might it look like? You know, if it was done before, what are some of the learnings that we can take from past applications? I think all of that is part of the discovery that we should have as, you know, as professionals who seek to be expert in what we do. Totally. I think the ability to say whether it's yes or no to innovation with a capital I or lowercase i is understanding what's at play. So, mm-hmm. you know, if the cloud or AI or any of this stuff sounds foreign to you, that's okay. But I think that's where the growth mindset comes in of take a course, read an article, read a book, and then maybe you can say, you know, I've decided that's not for me or my company, but at least you have that you know, starting points to help you enable that decision making. And that's where I think, you know, education really is the great equalizer. Yeah. Before we do wrap it up, and I ask you my famous uh, last innovation question, one quick question as this is a celebratory 100th episode of the Win Win Podcast is, you and I have had so many amazing innovation conversations online, offline, and I'd really love to hear what conversation you would like to see in the next 100 episodes in the Win Podcast and in the innovation industry as a whole. 
Yeah. Well, firstly, before I jump in, I want to applaud Wynne for the um, inaugural awards that happened last year. That was super exciting. And again, just wonderful to see like women <laughs> being recognized and right. the different areas where they were bringing sort of innovative, creative solutions to the fore. So kudos on that. I thought it was really, really yes. wonderful. It was amazing and such a great event to be a part of. So in terms of new conversations, I think for me, and it goes back to the statement I made about business leaders and their ambition, you know, a curiosity I have, and what are some of the ambitions that are really driving business leaders as we look forward? I mean, yes, mm. there is all the like managing through uncertainty and financial resilience and mm-hmm. some of the sort of immediate now things. But, you know, like as I look towards the future, my curiosity is around like those big, bold bets, those ambitions. And then the question I have is like where and how can technology come into the gap to mm-hmm. either accelerate or to make possible. Um, and so, and, and I'm sure you, um, Zoya, as a product person, like you just get really, really excited. And so, you know, whether it's about, radically changing the patient experience as we think about healthcare delivery or mm-hmm. do things that we can do um, in the retail experience um, because of, um, you know, cloud technology or AI. I mean, you think about even just some of the progress that was made because of the pandemic of like the degree to which you could shop in the store, you could have stuff brought to your car. Like, I mean, just think about yes. like how Target like evolved you know, just as as a single um, uh, retailer in the space. And so I'm just curious to see like what those ambitions are and where technology fits in. Um, Some of it will be reactive to things that are happening in the environment. No one could have predicted COVID. But then there's also sort of this natural evolution of business. And it's just exciting to see to see where it goes. Completely. So before I do let you go, where do you see yourself and your industry one month, one year, and 10 years from now? This is always so hard. Um, (laughs) I will say, so see myself in one month. There's so much sort of up in the air right now in terms of the economy and so forth. And so hard to gauge. But what I will say is that continuing to bring the innovative solutions to the fore that enable businesses to transform, um, that enable businesses to feel confident about um, digital transformation, uh, there's so much that can continue to happen. Um, Yes, you see so many of the big leaders talking about the digital transformation that they're undertaking, but there's also a lot of smaller companies or mid-sized companies that have yet to to take those steps. And I think there's just so much opportunity there. So I would envision us continuing to, to have that customer empathy and enabling the the digital transformation that cloud makes possible, that will be the business part. I would also say as we continue to sort of grow in terms of like, what is the role of work and culture and employer and employee becoming more agile and sort of meeting people where they are? Um, I mean, I just could have never predicted that, like, well-being would be a corporate discussion. And it is. 
And so, you know, I just envision continued evolution as we sort of, you know, appreciate the, um, the human aspect of um, the human beings we work with. Yes, yes, so much yes to that. And I, I feel similar sentiments. And I personally think that part of the reason I've been so drawn to having the conversation 100 episodes later, you know, almost three years later is because I think that without the conversation, without the human connection, without the communication, innovation cannot take place. And so I think it's just so exciting to think about how all of these different amoebas fit into what I believe to be the future of innovation. So thank you for taking a part of that on this podcast off of it. And I really enjoyed chatting with you today. Oh, right back at you. It's always so great. And as I said before, like, it's been wonderful to even just sort of witness the advances that Wynn has had, the awards program that you had last year, the new CEO that you have in position. It's really great that there's this community of, you know, just amazing women that can come together and and celebrate each other and support each other and kind of you know, rally around this notion of innovation, where sometimes like our voices may not be present. So um, I thank you for the work that you've been doing. And this these podcasts, I've listened to so many of them. They're so <laughs> enjoyable. So thank you. And thank you for inviting me back. More to come. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.